Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to the AEW Dynamite Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dudley Boys of What Culture, Michael Hamper and Michael Sidgwick, here to review anything that happened on last night's episode of AEW Dynamite Fighter Fest. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts where we not only review AEW Dynamite, but also AEW Rampage, Raw, SmackDown, NXT, Super oh, Premium live events. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a round of the week complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, on wrestle culture. As I said, they're joined by Havlin and Sidgwick to review AW Dynamite Fighter Fest Night slash Week One. And Michael Sidgwick, will AW Dynamite ever live up to our exacting standards? Yes, it will, and it did last night. I thought that was an absolutely <laughs> incredible show. Um, I'm a very harsh critic. Um, I would probably give this a nine out of ten, like one of the better episodes of Dynamite this year. Thought it was genuinely tremendous. At the same time, it was you get a bit of a cheat code when you do like a fighter fest or you know a road rage or a mac or a, a, a special dynamite that's more match heavy because the, the quality of the roster is such that you can put people in random matches or virtually any matches and they're all gonna be great. So this wasn't what I would call a typical masterclass of dynamite where you get the potent angle promo match quality combination um because it was lacking in angles because it was match heavy because it's kind of like their tv b level pay-per-view um but there was a great promo there was several great matches and there was one moment of absolutely quintessential aew brilliance which is not being facetious at all the reason why i watch this company and hold it in such high regard like the highest of regards um just there was one moment and we'll get to it later that just popped my tits off in a way that only aew can yeah i echo all of that really i thought this was excellent um very little to uh complain about like you will find them we go through segment by segment you know it, it, it can't be perfect but this is kind of this is pretty much the platonic ideal of a great wrestling show a great episode of dynamite and like Tony Khan's pacing of a wrestling show. Like there we've been critical of, I guess, like things moving too fast in AW or not enough time spent on particular stories or characters or whatever. But 
I don't, even when it was rushing through things here, like right through to the finish, the very end of the show, I'm like, oh, out of time. Like, it never particularly felt like it was at the expense. Like, we're going to cover a lot here. Like, a lot of characters got featured. A lot of angles got profiled and things like that. Um, but this was this was great in a way where I felt like it was the, the broadest picture painted in a while of the entire massive AEW roster on a single Dynamite without anything feeling too forced or compromised, mm. which was like, this was good, but it was also quite impressive. Yeah, I really enjoyed this show. Um, I think it's rare as well that I log on to Twitter and see Michael Sudrick rating this show higher than Matt Reigns. But yeah, uh, quite right in the in the sort of 9 out of 10 score. And shout out to uh, Kid Icarus, who was lucky enough to attend this show. And uh, yeah, he praised on it as well and said, I'm excited to see if it came across as well as it did in the arena, as it, uh, or it came across as better on telly as it did in the arena. And... Uh, always a gauge of a, either a good or a really bad show when I'm sat on my own watching this in the early hours of Thursday morning and I say something out loud and it's normally a good thing. It's normally a peppy or something like that. And Sige, I shouted, the shoe thing during the main event, which yeah. we'll get to uh, in due course. Uh, let's start at the beginning of the show, though. Uh, it was the TNT Championship match to open. Uh, it was Orange Cassidy challenging Wardlow, Orange Cassidy, flanked by his new official managers, as they revealed in a little inset promo before the match. Chuck and Trent have, uh, have sorted themselves out with that. And, uh, well, they had a, a plan. I'll, I'll give them that. Um, so Cassidy does, well, what Cassidy does and does his hands in pocket stick and uh, Wardlow takes his hands out of his pockets and rips the pockets out of his jeans. Uh, Hamphlet, just final dreams. Final dreams. Uh, as JR would say on commentary. I was kind of annoyed he wasn't on commentary. <laughs> so Wardlow does what Wardlow does. He fires up, he pulls the straps down and Orange Cassidy pulls them back up. Uh, it looked like it may be over quite early. Gets him up for a powerbomb symphony, but Cassidy gets out of it. Head scissors from him. He uh, He's favouring his eye. He gets the referee to check on it. So that allows Chuck Taylor and Trent Brown. Did Trent get a uh, tennis racket out? Did I see that? I said there was some sort of like black instrument. I thought it looked like a tennis racket in a case, but I'm not sure. Is it Regardless, chain No, Chuck got the chain All Oh, right. I feel like Trent might have tried to get a tennis racket for the old, you know. If he did, that's Joey Janela's patter. He did it all yeah. out, all out twenty nineteen. Um, but regardless, yeah. More, more importantly, Chuck Taylor pulled out a chainsaw. That was his strategy to defeat Wardlow. Unsurprisingly, referee went, "Yeah, you can't use that, lads." And you're gonna have to go for, for pulling that out. Um, so Wardlow finally gets his hands on Orange Cassidy. Uh, he intercepts an orange punch. He catches a tope, but he just can't hit him with. He's just very slippery, basically. And uh, he's <laughs> orange cast. He's like, come here. They're on the outside. He's like, come here. Come after me. And Wardlow's like, someone's not right. Reaches under the ring. There is Venet, Malev, Dan Housen, who gets pulled out, thinks about cursing him, then thinks better off it. And I loved this. Orange Cassidy's doing that. Well, what's your destruction? I'm going to run around the ring and jump you from behind. But it's Orange Cassidy, so he's taking a casual walk around, basically. Uh, he recovers, uh, though, um, and manages to hit an orange punch. Uh, but Wardlow gets in finally with an overhead belly-to-belly -belly suplex. We go to break. When we come back, 
Uh, Orange makes his comeback uh, by chop, chop blocking Wardlow's knee. Goes to the beach break, but Wardlow's too strong. Uh, but Orange reverses the power bomb into the DDT. Hits a spinning one, uh, but it can only get a one count from Wardlow. Wardlow uh, managed to avoid the Orange punch. Hits the F10, but Orange Cassidy is the first person in AEW history to kick out of it. Uh, Wardlow can't believe it. Goes to the powerbomb symphony, uh, but Orange fights out of it. Hurricane Rana, Tope, uh, sends Wardlow into the ring post, brings him back into the ring, driving DDT, but he gets caught by Wardlow. But Orange reverses again to hit the stunner, the Orange Punch, and the beach break for a great near fall. But finally, Wardlow catches another attempt at an Orange Punch, hits a powerbomb, one, two, three. And these, there's even a moment of respect post-match, Sige. Yeah, this is absolutely perfect. Like, absolutely perfect for what it was. And it was so incredibly intelligent. Like, I just absolutely loved this. I thought it was great. Um, Wardlow, in like a feature-length match, was kind of a risk considering how he's been promoted, as was like the sort of the fun tone of the match was also a risk. But we were talking on the preview yesterday, like, why have they booked this? They must have something incredible up their sleeve because everyone is wondering, oh, is this going to detract from either man's popularity mm. or are they risking like a sort of a rejection of Wardlow who they're pushing? And, you know, at various points, Wardlow got booed and Cassidy got cheered. But by the end, everyone was just so high on the match and the and the fist bump and everything else. Like just everyone emerged from this um, with so much more currency and credit um, than they had going in. And it was already quite a bit. I just thought they pulled this off to absolute perfection. My favorite bit about it, other than Orange Cassidy, like sort of playing the role of the veteran guy who can bring on the, the the young and experienced guys and work them in a great match and accentuate their strengths and everything else, which is just such a wonderful punchline and a flex for the idiots who don't get him and his character and how good he is as a strategic wrestler. Now that he's like one of the most intelligent veteran guys who can really play it where everyone's strengths and get people over, it's just the best... Um, punchline of his yet what I loved about this and yes they did do it later on but by that point Orange Cassidy's strategy had sort of worked is that they teased various things that happen in every match involving a big man ever and they subverted all of those things so that Wardlow would come across like this incredibly intelligent baby face who isn't just this idiotic lunk of meat it was so great to watch Orange Cassidy try the easiest trick that everyone does in every match against a big man and try and put his head against the ring post. And Wardlow was like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> I, I'm going to counter that. That is so obvious. Like, are you stupid? Like, I'm much cleverer than that. He guessed where Dan Housen was as well. Like, all of these little traps, Wardlow was just simply too clever to fall into, except Orange Cassidy is so clever as a strategist and a wrestling chess player that ultimately he did get him in some of the traps later on which informed this like incredible drama. It was loads of fun, ridiculously dramatic. And yet again, they know how to measure Wardlow and Wardlow knows exactly when to do things to get over it. Oh my God, you just fall in love with this specimen of a guy all over again. The cartwheel, like you forget because he is clever enough to make you forget that he's so stunning as an athlete and he can do the tiaras, he can do like this incredible senton and to do the um, the cartwheel it's like if you're Wardlow the temptation would be surely to have just done all of this and just got your shit in a million times because it's so impressive that he can do it but he's such like a patient 
like clever, disciplined storyteller that him not doing this stuff for the first however many years of his career just makes it sing all the much more when he eventually does it. And the near falls were great. It just escalated this from something that was really fun, really witty, really amusing, and then just morphed into this like genuinely really well-worked dramatic pro wrestling match that the fans were earnestly into rather than just ironically appreciating. This is just great. Yeah, exceptional stuff in this. Like I would say, I don't know how they did this, but I do. It's by putting immense trust and faith in the wrestlers and having a really good understanding of how to be creative with these two characters and help them overlap. And I think that's what really struck me about this. Like, Cedric's covered everything in good detail about, like, all the individual beats of the match. But just looking at it as an overall thing, I don't think it's a coincidence that two, like, innately 2019 AEW projects are now blossoming in 2022. And this match feels like one of those 2019 bookings that has, like, a big-picture knock-on effect. Like... This was this year more than any other in AW short history has been the one where, well, can you let it play out every time? Can you completely trust the process? You know, you're being, you haven't asked those questions a little bit from one too many dodgy dynamites or a couple of dodgy pay per view builds or whatever it is. And yet, in one match, pretty much you can be relieved that yes, you can trust the process. And yet, yes, you can still let it play out. And yes, you can express some concern at the sight of a graphic or a booking but then put your faith in the people, both the people booking and the people wrestling, everyone involved in the presentation to make it great. Because I think what this does for just subconsciously for you as an AW viewer is remind you what AW can be brilliant at and the way, the things that AW can do that simply no other wrestling promotion, like especially WWE, but really no other wrestling promotion at this height and this mainstream level can do. I think that was the... Like the, the even maybe bigger success story of this match was not just how fantastic it was on its own terms, but in how it will inform weeks and months of uh, like good faith in future bookings and in future matches that might seem difficult, future mountains to climb for the Wardlow character. Any concerns someone like me might have that is only just now starting to see the potential of Orange Cassidy as a headliner, then raising an eyebrow that they would book this and then seeing how well it plays out and not feeling like he was damaged in the slightest. They were doing this all the time in 2019 because they were in the process of building an audience that would trust them to do it over and over again so they would stick with them. And where that's felt like it's been eroding this year, it's just felt like an immediate recovery. And this whole Dynamite had a theme of that, but I dare say a lot of that was to do with how great this opener was. It's mm. just, I don't know, this felt incredibly representative of all the very best bits of AEW. And AEW has needed a match like this in a while. It was, it was tremendous for more than just what it was. Uh, then we got a little video recap of Pac defending his All-Atlantic Championship in Rev Pro. Oh, oh no. I've really messed up here, Sige. I've forgotten to write down who he faced. You've got any idea who he faced in Rev Pro? Duda! <laughs> and then Chris Jericho came out for a promo uh, alone. He said uh, he, standed, he stood in front of everyone tonight, not as the champion, not as the wizard. But as a living legend and as Eddie Kingston's superior, uh, and he talked about how it's a bad idea to be friends with Eddie Kingston, basically. He said, look, think about everyone who's associated with him. Ortiz, who shaved his head. Santana, the Jericho Appreciation Society, took him out of blood and guts. Danielson, I took him out in uh, Anarchy in the Arena. I did that. 
We don't know when he's coming back, he said. And then there's Ruby, Eddie's Ruby. Uh, what did being friends with Eddie Kingston get her? A mangled hand and a crushed career because she's Eddie's Ruby. You need to take better care of your chicks, Eddie, says Chris Jericho. Uh, and then he talks about the barbed wire everywhere match that's coming up next week, of course. He said, look, Kingston, you're a mark for Anita and Sabu and Funk. But let's not forget, I am the one who won the first ever Canadian barbed wire match at just 22 years old. People underestimate me, he says, uh, because of my massive accomplishments and my movie star good looks. But next week, you won't be able to underestimate Chris Jericho because you'll be facing the pain maker. And this will be the final fight, he says, in the Jericho Kingston saga. And when it's over, Kingston can crawl back into his hole of addiction and depression. He will never be at Jericho's level ever. The only thing that will wash away Jericho's sins is a massive wave of blood. He says, you're not a liar. You're a loser. Let's talk about this in 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 uh, all in one, basically, Hamlet. Because following a commercial break, we got the response from Kingston, who's fired up and pissed off that that Jericho gets to come out and cut this long promo. He's there with with Ruby Soho and her hands in this not a cast necessarily, but like this pr protective, I don't know, black thing. Uh, and Ortiz is there and he says, look, yeah, you've done this to her hand and we shaved his head. You've hurt me. Um, I want the most violent version of Jericho out there next week. But for all the things he's done to, to Ruby, to Ortiz, to everyone, he is going to pay with every ounce of his blood. He is going to hurt Jericho and Michael Hamlet. He's going to enjoy it. Yeah, I thought five seconds of Eddie Kingston was better than five minutes of Chris Jericho. Um, Eddie Kingston just resenting that he has to do this on television. These are like, these are getting in the way of him fighting and him like taking out his enemies and taking out his frustrations. I, lo I love that about Kingston. And I liked it as a contrast to the Jericho thing. I will say that Chris Jericho is the man that wants to grandstand and wants to take his five minutes of a, an empty ring in a, you know, a flush suit and be that guy. So I did like the contrast playing off against each other. Jericho's promo was good. I just, because it's Jericho, and this is a bit like when we talk about Raw and Dynamite, I guess. The Jericho Dynamite promo, the big table setting promo, can be held to a certain standard. And I don't think this quite reached it. And I think he was aiming for it as well. The way, like, his cadence and his tone and the way he was trying to build, build his points was of that, like, he was trying to create that vibe of some of the classic Chris Jericho Dynamite whether it be a go-home promo or when he set up the inner circle or things like that. I don't think he, it was good. The content genuinely was good, but I don't think it quite found a peak that maybe he was aiming for. Or maybe he thought the pain maker would be it and maybe it just wasn't. Like the crowd, and like there's been a little bit of discussion about like the, the crowd, either whether or not they weren't that well mic'd or they were quiet in places. They weren't coming up for it that well as well. So like the atmosphere didn't maybe feel like what he was expecting to be able to whip it into. So this was perfectly fine. Um, but subjectively, it just I wasn't like electrified by it. I think a little bit of that is as well is because I think we're, we are at the end of Kingston Jericho as well. Like, yeah, barbed wire, ever it's cool, but like we've had a lot of big matches between them. They like they're telling you themselves they've done absolutely everything to each other. So this was like I felt like the wrestlers were aiming for tens, and like it only kind of hit around the seven eight for me, which is you know still great, isn't it? By any standards, I just I don't know. I wanted to be really like electrified for it, and I, I didn't get. It. I thought this was tremendous. Genuinely thought it was tremendous. Like the way that um, Jericho responded to um, Kingston's promise where every drop of blood is for one of his friends and then he tied that into his promo was genuinely great in terms of like 
building the story and building the conflict, but also um, by in doing so, built the Jericho Appreciation Society. It's, it was quite easy at the start to say, right, okay, this is extremely cute what they are doing here, um, but is it too cute for its own good? Does this have real heft? Is it just like, is it just parody or is it something that can sort of live within um, the actual narrative beast that is AEW is something to take really seriously. And um, Anarchy in the Arena, Blood and Guts to a lesser extent, and this promo made me realize, yes, this is an actual unit. Um, so I think when it first formed, everyone was sort of pitching their own sports entertainment, pastiche bits and all the rest of it. And I think we had expectations of this as ridiculously entertaining um, list era Jericho thing and it's kind of evolved into something else and truthfully I think I prefer it they Jericho did such an awesome job here of putting over that Jericho Appreciation Society are like bad news like they will hurt people they will injure people um, it's convincing because they have in fact done precisely that um, and they've solved it's obviously they haven't brutalized Santana in an angle they didn't mean to concuss Danielson but if the material's there absolutely exploit it to your advantage and that's what they did here I just thought he made the Jericho Appreciation Society and himself come off as formidable look everyone kind of takes a piss out of the paymaker uh, it's never been is like when you go through like lists of like every Chris Jericho reinvention like the paymakers well below Le Champion, Y2J, Serious Man, and all the rest of it. And in fact, like people do take the piss out of it somewhat. Um, but he put it over as best he could, in that he is in fact undefeated under that guy's in AEW. I think he beat Darby Allen in a very early street fight. Then he subsequently beat Nick Gage of all people, which I did think really helped actually get the paymaker over as, as silly as it is. So yeah, I do agree with Hamlet that people didn't necessarily go, oh my yeah. The pain maker, Eddie Kingston's in trouble because the pain maker's here. Like, yeah. no one on the planet really, really believes that. But I did think he did as good a job as possible. And, you know, like, in strictly in the context of AEW, yes, absolutely. Of course, he would bring out that guys for this match because he's undefeated in it. Um, yeah, I just thought he was a smoke break. Hmm. Um, and this Hamlet really astutely points out, especially in contrast to Kingston who's loathing of being a television wrestler is one of my favorite characters <laughs> in the entire promotion um, because it's just so true. It is just so true. Um, so the contrast was great. Jericho just came off like a smoke dickhead and I really wanted to see him get his ass kicked. One more time and that's it. Again, yeah, Kingston. exactly. Do you know Eddie Kingston reminded me of here? I don't know why I've never noticed this before. Nate Diaz. Nate Diaz from uh, the UFC. Where he's like everything else, all the 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 whole dog and pony show of fighting, I don't care about. Just let's get to the bit where we have a fight, basically. And, and you just encapsulated that exactly. This is a first, right? This is a first, but I am pedantic. You're used to it by now. I've got a criticism of an Eddie Kingston promo. Whoa. I think the the visual sight of Ortiz with a shaved head and Ruby Soho with a arm in a sling or in a cast or whatever mm. i think they looked like pitiable not like oh look what they've done to his mates you should sympathize with eddie as a result of this i just thought they looked like and i don't think it helped their baby face auras whatsoever like go on show them go on show them me boo boo show them your stupid <laughs> little shaved head I, honestly i don't <laughs> think that was a good choice whatsoever i like kind of laughed at the, the, the visual sight of these two um, baby faces here. Hardly ideal. I think he should have not had them alongside him. 
Mm. I thought it was a bit insulting in a way that AEW so rarely is. It's like, I remember what happened literally last week. And in fact, I remember what happened like a month ago or whatever it was with Ortiz. Like, bear in mind, this is a company that has asked us to register the facial expression of Wardlow, the very muted facial expressions of Wardlow, like not the focus of the camera for two years before mm. you became this baby face. And look at the reaction he got. Did they not think, oh, let's trust him a little bit more? It was a bit insulting and a bit stupid, that for me. No, I think that's a fair shout. Uh, next was the uh, interim AW World Title Eliminator, uh, starring, in my opinion, the best wrestler in the world in 2022. And John Moxley was in it as well. Um, so early on, they go back. I just love Kanosuke Takeshita. So much so that I've actually managed to learn sort of how to pronounce his name eventually. Back and forth early on, shoulder tackles and chops. And God, he, he looked, I don't know what it was in this match. He just looked massive, Takeshita. I, I don't know why I've not noticed this before, but anyway, Moxie gets the upper hand, of course, early on. Big Lariat, straight pile driver, gets him a two count. Um, they get to the apron. Bad idea with Takeshita. Uh, he German suplexes him out there. And they way back to the ring, though. Moxley hits Takeshita with a boot. Uh, and they go to a break. Somehow, during all this, Takeshita got busted open. I was like, get in. Uh, they come back from commercial. Takeshita makes his comeback. His uh, signature leaping clothesline, a straight dot, drop brain buster, gets a two count. Uh, goes for the big frog splash, but Moxley gets the knees up and cradles Takeshita near fall from that. Uh, he changes that into a rear naked choke and then transitions nicely into a cross arm breaker to force Takeshita to get to the ropes. Um, Takeshita sends Moxley out to the floor, the Hurricane Rana, great tope. Um, and then he does manage to hit the frog splash this time when they get back inside for a two count. Moxley goes for a sleeper, but Takeshita brilliantly turns it into a blue thunder bomb. And there's a wonderful bit where they're both sort of laid out and the referee's like, I mean, there's body parts on top of body parts here. I'm going to count for a great near fall. Um, goes to the jumping knee. Moxley blocks it, though, and spikes him with the paradigm shift. It looks like he's going to get the Death Rider. But suddenly Takeshita yet again fires up, flips out of it. German suplex bridge. The crowd love that. Another great two count. Uh, but Moxley fights out of a straight jacket German, hits the Death Rider, those hammer and anvil elbows, followed by a bulldog choke, gets Moxley the submission win, Sige. Yeah, this is absolutely awesome. Absolutely awesome. I remain absolutely in love with John Moxley. Um, this gave me everything in terms of uh, someone's going to get absolutely battered here. Someone's going to get battered here, feeling that last week's main event, which is an aberration in Moxley's year, didn't give me. So it was really great. I had to see Max Moxley back on wrestler of the year form. And yes, of course, Takeshita is in that conversation. Um, this was absolutely great. Um, it wasn't structurally too dissimilar to the Kingston match. Um, but again, what I love about John Moxley's work this year is that he's going for, I think he's recognized because he's such a smart, cool guy with an absolutely brilliant BS detector. He knows what's lame. He was hating his life for all the lame things that he had to do in WWE. Um, he just knows what's cool because he's the coolest guy and he knows exactly what's lame. I honestly think this style that he is now perfected in 2022 is like a defiant reaction to the bloat excess melodrama um, of the, the quote-unquote pro wrestling main event between like, what, 2017 and 2021? Um, you know, the shot kick-out faces, the multiple near falls down the stretch, and just the cliché. He is completely subverting that by not doing those tropes. I love the could end at any time drama. And it just feels so urgent. It doesn't feel like it's long for long's sake. 
Um, it's just wonderful professional wrestling that doesn't waste a single second. Um, but genuinely, my favorite bits of this match, which informed the actual near falls, because it's not just the timing of the 2.999s, which was fantastic on the part of Moxley. Um, and it's not just the structure of how you do a match to get um, like a mid-level challenger, at least in KFA, like Takeshita, to make you feel in the moment like he's going to win. It's more than just, right, do a move and do a 2.99. It's the spaces between, it's the little details. And Takeshita, his forearm is so unbelievable and impactful. And Excalibur is so great at selling like the oof. That will look like it absolutely rocked him. That when he subsequently does like his amazing German suplex or whatever, or the Blue Thunder Bomb, you think, that's it. He's been wobbled. His literal jaw has been wobbled here. So he might be down for the count. Like the tiniest little thing Takeshita does. And of course, he can do spectacular things as well. He is an absolutely incredible pro wrestler. And this was an incredible pro wrestling match. Yeah. he if, He's just wrestling in a way that I can't figure out how he's doing it. He's rejecting, like Cedric's point about the, the main event style. I think he's rejecting almost every style of pro wrestling and is having John Moxley matches like this. The, the pace just undulates. So it just quickens and slows as per he needs. He, we worked in, like there was a point where they were like doing all these like submission transitions and it just came at a point in the match where you would never expect to see it. It was neither too early where they like the, in the feeling out process, nor was it too late when you can tell the racing towards the finish. It was just happening because it feels real, you know? Um, Moxley's watched, we would assume, in kayfabe, that he's watched Takeshita against Kingston to scout him, to, you know, and wants to wrestle him as a result of all this. So sees the challenge up ahead, faces it down, and then adjusts, like, mid-match constantly as per the needs of his, like, of what he needs to do to beat his opponent. It's it's just pro-wrestling wizardry, because it, it couldn't feel any less fake. He's applying that, yeah, blood sport's not real. But the whole fun of blood sport is the trick that it's the most real feeling pro wrestling there is. Moxley is applying the blood sport philosophy to like squared circle mainstream television pro wrestling. It's incredible. It's absolutely like, and he's doing it week on week on week. And if anything, it does bring into sharp focus that maybe the Brody King match was just a little bit too generic. And Moxley's mm. raised the bar and raised the expectation for his own match at this point. Takeshi was outstanding here, by the way. So, like, I don't want to, I feel like if just I'm isolating all praise to John Moxley, I don't mean to. It's just I was like absorbed in this in a completely different way. And this has just been this pattern with Moxley this year. That it, like he's he's just ascended to this to this different level that wrestlers do sometimes. And he's just he's he's added something that nobody is doing. And it's not the particular execution of the move, but it's it's the placement of things and it's the 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 real feeling of all of his matches as fights that I can't think of anybody else. Kingston comes really close because he it's the way he charges to the ring and the way he might like go for the hurricane really early on, whatever. But even in doing that once or twice, you then see it as his thing so it becomes like a kingston thing and it's like it's a feature of a kingston match you know and it stops being what's that word it like loses a slight sense of danger because now you've seen him do it a few times and it's like it's part of the trick moxley never feels like he's playing a trick because he feels like it's different every time Takeshita like was obviously fantastic here and they have in in like racking up a ton of defeats by the way yeah. they've, made, they've made a north american wrestling star so that's really impressive like the the worth of his work and how incredible he's been in all these defeats is what's got him over because you of course can get people over and wins and losses this yet again is an early days aw philosophy that they're trying to re-establish as why this is the place to be and why mm. dynamite remains the pro wrestling destination 
and it like it's bearing itself out in this to catch the run. Um, what a gift he is to the roster, what a gift he is to television, and what a great advert he is for AEW's like the open door policy and the mm. idea that people can come and go. Like Takeshita on a whatever his deal is. Um, Murray mentioned in the office this morning it was a year, temporary, part time, whatever it is. Takeshita is a better advert for the open door policy than AW permanently signing a bunch of guys that then have yeah. nothing to do. Uh, this was outstanding. Honestly, like had the quality not been that high this year, you, this is this is in a in a slightly weaker year. This is a match of the year contender. Yeah, yeah. I was just sat there going, yeah, yeah, yeah. John Moxley's great and all that, but let's talk about Takeshita because, like, he is as as you both sort of alluded to there. He is the the complete antithesis of those people who are like, well, you know, they're bringing all these Japanese people, and I don't know who they are, so why should I care? I had no idea who this guy was. He got announced on a rampage or a dynamite, whatever it was. I can't remember off the top of my head, right? And I went to to Sige and to you and to Murray, and I was like, "Who else? This guy? Like another just another Japanese guy? Oh, it's the Forbidden Door, blah blah blah." And I've fallen in love with him over the last few weeks and months and what have you. Like his fire up spots. You talk, Hamlet, a lot about like reaching through the screen. That's what I felt watching this match. And there was even a bit where. So he gets busted open. I don't know why. I think it happened during the break, right? He gets busted open. And then towards the end, towards the sort of blue thunder bomb period, there was a close-up of his face and he's firing up and the gas getting the crowd fired up. And all I could notice is, oh, he's not bleeding anymore. And there was something in my head that was like, well, he's not going to lose then. Because like he's like healing up like he's, you know, flipping Wolverine or something. It's like, well, if you can't put him down when you've got him bleeding and that's, you know, every drop of blood that you lose is a bit of an ounce of energy. That's it now. He stopped bleeding, so he's the best. I just think he's fantastic um, and, and just got to echo both of your thoughts and very excited to see what they do with him. And yeah, what a blueprint for AW going forward with this, this policy. Uh, what followed that was a, a House of Leg uh, video promo with Brody King. I'm really happy that they showed this because I was like, oh, please don't have him do that mint attack uh, on the on Darby Allen at a signing and then don't show it on telly, but they did. Uh, and Brody King Hamlet said, I'm getting mine in terms of watching Darby Allen ascend in AW. I'm getting mine by taking yours. I good. Um, him like battering Darby Allen at that convention and putting through a table is better than a million spooky vignettes. He's absolutely hard as nails and he wants to like brutalize this little squirt. That's that's, that's the angle. Yeah, that's no, a really unique thing. Um, I'm very excited about this Brody King Darby Allen thing because the match will be absolutely incredible, and they're really good mates as well. So you can tell that they are just constantly texting each other or whatever about like ideas for it. And this is a really creative means of building it. And yeah, it's just much better than like fake prop gravestones, isn't mm. it? <laughs> when you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. 
Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. So Christian Cage came out next. We had the Varsity Blondes already in the ring. And uh, Christian said just like jungle boy there's brian pillman jr in the ring <laughs> he had a father who's a legend but let's be honest he was average at best um and he thinks brian pillman senior would be appalled knowing that his last contribution to uh, was uh brian pillman jr uh and he said he also got griff garrison in there and uh a lovely flashback to the late uh brody brody lee in uh and his who the Flip it. I had to watch it again. Matt Rain shared it on Twitter. Shout out to him because uh, I just I forgot how much I love that segment. Who the flip is yes. Chris Harrison? That's the um, best skit of all time. It's fantastic. Um, give him our papers, right? Here they also and the little scream from Eve Ludo. Anyway, Christian says there was something about Griff Carson that annoyed him, and then he turned to Luchasaurus, who'd been brought out with him, and he said, "Doesn't he look a little bit like Jungle Boy?" And down goes Luchasaurus to murder Griff Garrison. Uh, manhandles him, nails him with a German, uh, beat him up on the outside, kicked his head into the ring post, choke slam. And Christian goes, no, one more, another choke slam. And he locks on what's called the tar pit, which is sort of a modified snare pit submission uh, for the victory. Post match, Luchasaurus continues battering him. Pillman tries to save him. So he gets headbutted for his troubles. He puts him on the announce table. Uh, and then Luchasaurus. Choke slams um, Griff onto Billman. The table doesn't break. And he's like, oh, well, let's do it again then. Does it a second time. It explodes everywhere. And uh, Christian and Luchasaurus stand tall, Hamlet. Yeah, I think a lot out of this. Um, again, like it was it was fine. I, I can't be critical of it, like objectively, really. Um, Griff Garrison was an ideal person for Luchasaurus to squash. Brian Pillman makes sense in who Christian is at this point. Like they are doing the, and the point is he won't top it every week, but they're doing the can you top this thing with him every week. They want to send, they want to position Christian Cage against somebody that you're waiting for the, do the big line that's going to make you gasp. And it, like in truth, he didn't really do it with Brian Pillman either. And nothing at Brian Pillman or indeed Brian Pillman Senior's expense was as harsh as other things he said in the weeks prior. So that felt diluted. Um, this could be a subjective thing. I'm already like up to speed on Luchasaurus is Christian's Derek Kane figure. Like there's a certain WWE element to this. Like the angle, the story took place on week, like took place with the turn was ever so slightly fleshed out in week two. And we are kind of just, this is the character. This is the character. This is the character. When's the premium live event. Can I have the match? Like Christian jungle boy is the match, but this just sort of feels like you could play this, character trait on a loop for six more weeks because i know what jungle boy christian cage is and i just, I just want to see that yeah this didn't do a whole lot for me either um and then offense with jungle boy being absent this is a, a half decent solution 
but it just feels like absolute edgelord shtick at this point. It doesn't feel like Christian Cage hates Jungle Boy so much and he's so disappointed by wasting a year of his career um, with Jungle Boy or whatever the motivation is. It doesn't feel like he hates Jungle Boy so much that he's willing to just be absolutely horrible to him. It just feels now like he's chasing um, the cheap heat pop on television, no matter the victim. Um, this was so much more powerful um, and evocative when it was focused on Jungle Boy and the conflict. And yes, Jungle Boy not being there, it doesn't help. But at the same time, Christian Cage is just an asshole to everyone, removes focus from the whole point, which is the Jungle Boy Christian Cage match. Um, so not only does it remove focus from his actual hatred of Jungle Boy, um, but it just feels like he got a little bit high on the acclaim from that incredible first promo and he's just chasing the dragon and the cheap pop and i just feel like christian should be above this um i would like very much for them to not escalate this with pick someone on the roster who's had something awful happen to them right and then use it for cheap heat and then have luchasaurus bury them um, it's becoming increasingly tacky, desperate, artless. I would like Christian Cage to cut a different style um, of promo in terms of the content just so that this doesn't become an albatross because it's already weighing down everything. Is, yeah. is, is there anything in this or is this too way too, all right, what's real and what's fake here? Is it like this could be a bit too Vince Russo as I'm even thinking of it. If and when MJF comes back, do you think he says something like, you miss me so much that you gave my entire shtick to an ex-WWE guy? That's how much you love ex-WWE guys. If that was dovetailing, yes. But at the same time, it's all very... It's dicey, it's that. I'm aware of that. Too much shooting work to shoot for me. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm a little bit concerned where we go next from here. And I had a, a horrible premonition. But if you want to find that out, you have to listen to the Dynamite preview next week. Because, uh, uh, well, I'll save it until then. Uh, Jericho Breach Agent Society getting interviewed backstage. Uh, they're talking about the fact that they're going to be stuck in a shark cage next week. Oh my God, I'm so excited for that visual. Um, and they, they're annoyed. They want, you know, Eddie Kingston's mates to be stuck in a shark cage as well. And Uncle Anand threatens Tony. He's like, hey, don't be scared. It's just a flick home, so don't worry about <laughs> it. Uh, Daniel Garcia cuts a promo. He said, look, I understand why you're putting us in a shark cage, especially me. I'm dangerous. But I'm tired, Wheeler, of you doing a cheap Daniel Garcia Im imitation. I'm going to take that pure title from you at Death Before Dishonor. Is that next weekend? Next Saturday, yeah. Uh, and September 4th is All Out in Chicago. Um, you're, you were talking about this yesterday, Sid, in terms of the fact that they are they're sort of set on keeping certain pay-per-views in locations. It makes sense to put All Out back in Chicago. Yeah, absolutely. Um, on market for them. My only issue in this, arguably in this entire show, actually came next. Um, we're getting a, an interview with with Hangman Page. Uh, he's going to be chatting about him getting eliminated in the, the Battle Royal. But before he can really get into that, in comes Silver and Reynolds, and they uh, they're they're furious. They want to issue a challenge to those spooky perverts, the House of Black, and uh, yeah, that sets up a match, I believe, between them on rampage and i watched this and thought what are they doing with with hangman page just in terms of the fact sage of i was like you're hangman page you have been overlooked already in this whole interim aw world title thing and you've just seen earlier on in the night 
some guy who and i'm not going to go all full you know internet commenter wwe fan i'm just going to pick the things that that don't work in aw etc but you've just seen a guy who lost to eddie kingston on rampage last week get a chance to get a shot at the interim world champion and you're just stood there pissing about with these lads he i don't know just... he lost to page as well hang on page beats cash didn't he oh yeah of course i just I, that was the only my like and people, before people say, oh, you know, you're just finding things to be annoyed with. This is like the teacher who's got like a straight A student who's just like, you're doing great, but these are just the little things I want you to tweak. So I don't want people to think that this is me just deliberately trying to find problems with AEW, but I don't know, this just didn't work for me. In the defense, right, there's a certain amount of contrivance that has to be booked in order to like preserve your premium matches and then mm. to sort of rebuild your stars quietly in the background. Otherwise you just get caught in the infinite loop of yeah guys and beating guys and just squandering your matches into their credit they used pages credibility and they had Brody king eliminating from the royal rampage match which obviously page was a part of because on that level he was still considered obviously worth um pushing to the world title or getting another opportunity added so he's had an opportunity since losing it mm. and maybe he should have had all of them or more than one but he's had one um what isn't particularly excusable is the the character's reaction to all of this yeah. it's again it's very tricky because he if he points out the obvious it makes the company look bad but if you do the obvious it just goes rematch city so it's yeah. very delicate and you have to give them a bit of leverage it's just an inherent flaw to weekly american episodic television that is never gonna there's no perfect solution to it um if they were going for carefree page doesn't really care cool hangman page you know <laughs> tie-dye top but i'm not that bothered um if, if, if this is another beat of his like if it's this if he's got a coping mechanism for you know the anguish of losing or whatever that didn't really click for me either um it's a diversion not one that i'm particularly into is there any like is this one of them sideline things where coming off the back of the trios match we get hangman page versus malachi black let's say because that's a new combination yeah. and that's something to promote and like that's it's it's an interesting singles match and it's a potentially quite a big win or a scalp for malachi black where in a situation where page can probably afford to lose so you know it's it's a gift of the combinations and the graphics if nothing else i'm not hugely into the trios match but it's probably more what i can offer spinning off it hmm. Uh, then it was time for Jake Hager versus Claudio Castagnoli, the battle of the former tag team partners, of course. Uh, Claudio doesn't mess about. Running up his cut right at the bell, immediately goes to the giant swing, and Hager's like, whoa, whoa, whoa not ready for this. Goes out to the floor, uh, and he takes out Claudio with a clothesline. Uh, he goes for the Hager bomb, but Claudio counters it with the uh, Tiger faint kick. That gets him a two count. Uh, lays in some strikes in the corner, and then Hager reverses and does the same. He gets a Hager bomb uh, that led to a commercial break after a, a near fall um i think this is the bit that sidge was alluding to on social media so i'm not going to talk much about it claudio then landed a springboard uppercut to make a, a comeback after dodging a clothesline um then he lands multiple running uppercuts drop kick sends hager to the floor another running uppercut uh, and a driving diving crossbody gets uh, claudio a two count he managed to get hager in the giant swing which is no mean feat considering how bloody massive that lad is puts him in the uh, puts him in the sharpshooter hager looks like he's beat looks like he's gonna submit and he's waving his hands suddenly you realize he's gesticulating for uh, members of the jas to come down and get involved and distract the official um 
They did. That allowed Hager to uh, hit a huge Uranagi for a near fall. Goes to the ankle lock, but Claudio, the technical brilliant wrestler that he is, counters it. Big back suplex. Goes for a sharpshooter. Again, JAS tried to get involved, so he just takes all of them out. And then he hits the pop-up uppercut and the, uh, is it the Ricola bomb? I do believe. Yeah. Yeah. That gets, which is a, a, an insane feat of strength, strength from him, but it's not surprising now, Hamlet. Uh, Claudio gets the one, two, three. Yeah, I thought this was all right. Um, it was a, like a really good Hager match and another good showcase for Claudio. So I might like, I imagine AW will be thrilled with the outcome, really. Um, this was a night of what three matches that would probably break, break four stars on most people's rating scales, you know. Um, so maybe the uh, maybe on another dynamite, this may have stood out more, I suppose. But it was kind of we saw the like as far as Claudio goes, there's going to be a lot of matches where he's going to be the obvious winner, and this was one of the nicer ones because of the prior history between the two, because of the partnership, because of the counters that Hager had based on how well they knew each other. And I thought Excalibur was particularly good on commentary. I love WWE law being part of AW canon, I love it. Like, it's pointless. Like, loads of wrestlers have been through that company. Loads of them have got, like, long careers. And I love that AEW aren't so petty as to ignore that. Like, all wrestling should and can count when you need it to. So I quite like that, like, figured into the match here. Because ultimately, Claudio's playing this kind of unstoppable version of himself. I don't think we've yet seen the perfect compromise of the wrestler he is. He seems so excited to be there that he's doing everything at 100 miles an hour. And that's really, really cool. But I think in this particular match, it kind of exposed that Hager couldn't necessarily hang with him at that pace. Zack Sabre Jr. could, and I think it worked there. We didn't get much of a technical classic, but we just got a total ripper as a result. And then Blood and Guts was something entirely different. But um, like, I don't want, I'm not advocating Claudio slowing down to like a WWE Raw TV match, but there's a, there's a middle ground, there's a compromise of like the perfect version of it. And I just think he's too excited to be wrestling in AEW to do that yet. So this was good. But I think the golfing class really showed itself by the end. I think this was very, very, very good indeed. Um, I would put it as the second best singles Jake Hager match ever. I still maintain that Cody Rhodes versus Jake Hager from the original AEW Fighter Fest is one of the most underlooked things they've ever done for how good it was. Uh, this is just below that. Um, yeah, the thing that uh, Wilborn alluded to was one of my favourite um spots of the entire night because it corrected one of my biggest biggest pet peeves in wrestling long time mega fans will know what this is already right i cannot stand it i hate it when a wrestler and it's they do various other um mistakes for various other spots but specifically right when a wrestler goes to do a clothesline and the idea right is to not hit the person right to make me believe that you want to hit the person just lunge into it and they duck right this is like a horrible reverberation from all of those memories of watching the the cena moves of doom sequence <laughs> every time i saw it, it's like don't ever call him a great do not ever call him a great in my company he's not his work is so flimsy yes he can generate drama and yes you know he can lay out a match but my god half the time he can't execute it and it's a good job that he's a star because people are with the noise anyway i used to hate it so much when they go right okay throw a clothesline he's gonna duck it's just i hate it so much intent is so important in wrestling 
And of all people, considering how criminally, not criminally underlooked, but how people just think it's a bit rubbish. I think that's a bit harsh personally, right? Jake Hager not only lunges as if he's actually going to try and take Claudio's head off, right? But he does so in a way that sets up seamlessly, organically, the next spot where he has to sort of wildly lunge to send himself sprawling onto the mat so that the springboard twisting uppercut is launched from this really sort of spectacular distance. I thought they worked tremendously well together here. I think if this was in Chicago or just Pittsburgh or one of like the towns that AEW fans really go wild, I think this could have been a four-star. Because of the lack of crowd heat, it wasn't that great. But I thought they did a tremendous job here. They didn't mess about, didn't feel methodical, didn't feel like they were in their WWE brains or phoning it in or whatever. Um, there were certain feats of strength that I'm like, Jesus Christ, it's some takes some doing to lift both of these lads up. And I just thought I was I was very, very impressed by this. Sage, I've happened upon a fantastic merchandising opportunity for you. All right. For like flogging clobber on the internet. It could be the Sidgwick clothes line my shirts always hit yes love <laughs> that uh, t-shirt first <laughs> uh hooks backstage he gets asked whether he's going to go for a title uh or not or which title he wants to go for and considering he's undefeated he just walks off and uh, then we get a video package right, you know, no, can we have a minute on that go on uh, hooks rubbish they're they're ruining him like this wasn't aloof in the way that they think he was. Cause like we're a, however many months into the hook experiment now, he's like doing the Joey Barton poetry on rampage and like, he's done wacky stuff with Danhausen, and now he's back to being like the silent killer. Like what was this interview time for? Like hooks a bit of a dick. If he's like, well, we've got some interview time with hook. Uh, I'll just, I'll walk away from the interview. Like I, I like, I, I was a bit, so, uh, I, I'm in a, like a real bad place with hook at the moment. And just Moves this, this, yeah, this tacked on segment was from like eight, nine months ago before you'd made him uncool. Mm. And I just think this was in a, like a bit of a hack attempt to try and fix it. I need some matches. I need some very, very basic yeah. but awesome hook matches again because this isn't working. Uh, then we got the video package uh, with Miyu Yamashita um, defeating Thunder Rosa in Japan. That means she'll get a title shot um, and Thunder Rosa is ready, she says in a, in a promo with, uh, with Tony to, to have a a rematch in America for the title. Her and Tony Storm are ready to face anyone. In comes Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter to confront Thunderstorm. Uh, Baker says, this place is a natural disaster without us. Get it? Uh, but we know how to deal with these things. And in comes Rebel with a sandbag, which Baker hands over and says, enjoy carrying that for a month. Um, Sid, I, I essentially rather enjoyed this. Uh, this. This is what you watch AW for. Just watching performers be encouraged to be the funniest, best, most intense, badass versions of themselves, whatever the character is, and then just gleefully using the opportunity of their freedom and their talent and their ability. And it's just wonderful to see in great matches and this sort of, frankly, just frivolous backstage segment alike. It was so perfect. The sheer glee on Baker's face throughout because she, you know, when you've got like a popper in your head mm. and you like you deliver it so enthusiastically because you know you're going to get a huge clap from the boys. Like she had that look on her face. Um, because like realistically, like Baker over the past however many months has done certain promos where it's like, oh, that's not like that's 
below your standard. It felt like Britt Baker was back. Like the prop was just ridiculous. And it worked on both levels. I can understand boring arsehole complaints, right? Where why would you mention sandbagging? Um, which is like it breaks precious kayfabe. Mm. What you're basically saying is you're a selfish, predetermined wrestler who's not um willing to put over certain opponents, which just exposes the whole thing as a sham. I do not care because if you do know, you don't care that cafe has been broken. You're not seven years old anymore, right? So it's funny on that level. And you can't do it all the time or else you go 2000 WCW, but little, just little cute meta moments are just so funny for me personally. Um, but at the same time, right, if you didn't know this, you weren't mystified because sandbags do help them stop. Exactly. And, and damage. So at the very least, with no um, you know, insider knowledge of you know the, the crack with under Rosa and Shafia, it just looks like three dickheads doing deliberately stupid prop comedy for the express purpose of just being complete arseholes. But just the glee, it, it was so good that it was as if Thunderstorm all along were named. So Baker could do this gag. That's how inspired the gag was. Rebel walking into the shot with the big grin and the sandbag. Yeah, they're, they're just I mean, like the way, like the visual of her doing it and the way she timed it as well. That's just to echo Sidgwick's point. The sheer excitement of getting to just unleash this gag at the babyface's expense. It was it was pretty delicious. Um, the Thunder Rosa promo beforehand was sort of rubbish as well. So it kind of provided the perfect, like, I like Thunder Rosa a great deal. But it was a bit lame, wasn't it? It's like, I love getting beaten in Japan and I can't wait to maybe get beaten in America. Like, <laughs> so it was kind of the perfect compromise to, uh, so it's perfect contrast, should I say, to what then followed. I, it might draw a bit of debate and might be seen as a little bit divisive this one but i i kind of i think i'm with sidric on this one i think you've mm. kind of got you can you can choose to take this two ways you can either take it at the meta level which they know that plenty of the audience will or you can take it at very very face value of like villains being smug pricks that are going to get hit really hard in the payoff in like a tag match where they get to come up and a little bit or the sand's going to get used sand in the eyes maybe sand, mm, yes sand in the eyes i like that Thoughts on the uh, the new Thunderstorm T? I know they've not had many good ones, AEW. Uh, no thoughts whatsoever. I, can, I kind of thought that it didn't do much for the aesthetic of them as a team. Mm. Like, I know that like they should like gear, matching gear in that is absolutely awesome, but I don't know. I don't, they're not. Who am I? I? I am 37 and even more ancient feeling. You know, you know they talk about real feeling weather. Like they say what the temperature is, and then they say what the what mm. like, the real feel. Like I'm 37, real feel 60. So I am <laughs> not conditioned to say what's cool, but Thunderstorm don't feel cool. <laughs> I don't know. And uh, yeah, I just I completely echo what Sid said in terms of I could, I already know I'm gonna log on to Twitter today and there's gonna be performative people going, you're exposing be a beer now, sandbagging. No. <laughs> when there's a storm, when there's floods, all yeah. I see on the news is people loading their house with sandbags so it works it has two meanings get it no beds uh, right okay time for anna j versus serena d which sige what does that mean well this is ladies night i'm thinking oh, uh, shout out to adam blair once again for uh, providing us with the timings this week one hour 18 minutes 34 seconds who won this week sige 
Well, the winner of this week's competition. Oh, this is ladies nine. I'm thinking no. Was me. Hey. Uh, we'll go into sending order of failure. Michael Hamflit with an absolutely ludicrous one hour, 36 minutes and 36 seconds. And Will Warren with a very good guess, not good enough. Of one hour, 24 minutes and 36 seconds is defeated by the winner of, well, this is ladies nine, I'm thinking <laughs> one hour, 20 minutes and 59 seconds. Um, so Sige, by my calculations, that means you have won two ladies nights. I have won two ladies nights. How many have you won? Zero ladies nights. In House Humphrey. Zero Lady Nights for Humphrey. Zero Lady Nights for Humphrey. This is Insane Night. So, I need to get some offense early on in this. Um, yeah, hits a running blockbuster. Um, but then uh, Serena Deeb does Serena Deeb things like a reverse rings of Saturn at one point just to stack Serena Deeb up for a two count to get out of it. Goes to the Queen Slayer. That gets broken up though with a big. Throat snap across the top rope, uh, and a fisherman's neck breaker gets uh, Deeb a two count before we go to break. When we come back, uh, Jay fights back, running takeovers, suplex, wants the Queen Slayer, but Deeb catches her in a European clutch for a near fall. Um, Deeb spins Jay round, goes to the Deeb tops, but um, Anna Jay fights out of it. Then there's this, I've no idea what it was. This weird submission that Serena Deeb goes for. I've no idea, but Jay manages to escape. It hits a low heel kick. Uh, Deeb fights back with a dragon screw. Uh, she gets caught, does Deeb, suddenly in the Queen Slayer for a, a brief moment of uh, peril. Uh, but Deeb stands up out of it, puts her in the Serenity Lock and gets the submission victory, which makes sense. She's fighting uh, for the title, of course. Uh, Death Before Dishonor, Ring of Honor's pay-per-view next weekend. Speaking of which, Mercedes Martinez runs down and attacks her after the match because she will not let go of the holds. Uh, Sid, your thoughts on this? Uh, not very good at all. Um, I was really kind of happy, or a more accurate word is relieved, when um, Anna Jay got the pop for like a really cool Queen Slayer reversal counter uh, because before that, this was verging on the actually humiliating territory mm. this was far too ambitious a match for anna jay to work and this is kind of the opposite of the jade cargill triumph on rampage um in that she's obviously nowhere near deeb's level and they kind of asked her to do deeb's match and there were various points where she was like either completely lost totally static like sat down not knowing what to do whether they just can't Matt wrestle, she can't do submission wrestling. So she was either like actually just going into submissions and taking them willingly, which looked ridiculous, mm -hmm. or she was just kind of sat there not knowing whether she was going to get trapped in something and snared in something. Um, yeah, this is genuinely one of the worst things on Dynamite up until the nice moment where the home state crowd got behind her, which just about maybe salvaged it, but that's probably far too generous. Like, she needs to go on excursion to a promotion, an all-women's promotion, a Joshi promotion in Japan, so that she actually gets booked on most shows, because this is going to happen, and in fact is happening time and time and time again. And it's not just Anna Jay, it's various other women who aren't getting the reps, 
who will show glimpses of brilliance and then just have a bit of a, a bit of a disaster. Um, and it's just going to loop as everything in this division does. And they need to strike a partnership with a, and another trying to start them um, on the other direction and then focus on all-star matches that are booked differently to the men's division. This is a hill I've been dying on for quite some time. Tony Khan needs to book this division differently to how he books the men's and do an all-star peak NXT, peak New Japan, peak All Japan style in terms of the booking where you beat people, you just simply beat people and hope that the matches are good enough and that the characters are connected enough with the audience that they don't really care that they get beat more often than Khan would normally beat them because this is getting ridiculous now. Yeah, it wasn't great, this. Um, a lot of it happened in picture in picture. So that was like, which is like how I saw this dynamite. So that obviously that's always difficult for the viewing experience. That but I state. Indeed, yeah. Got myself over there, got myself back just in time for the review. Uh, that's how I like to watch Dynamite every week. Um, just to you know, get the real-time feel. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's one of those things where the, there was a couple of things. So this is going to sound too simplistic, right? But Anna Jay has been working for that Queenslayer pop um, in dark and dark. It's, it's, like, it's feeling like a practice thing, right? And she gets it on Dynamite here. But that should be evidence that you can do that for loads of things in a match. You can work for all sorts of things, things because the more you wrestle, the more you learn, the more you practice bits out, the more that you realize what clicks with the crowd. And then when it when you sort of unleash it and you uncork it and it goes down really well, brilliant. And that's the point. That's why loads of things get worked, the kinks get worked out on a house show and then you get it all play out on television or a premium live event or pay-per-view, whatever. And she's not getting that. So the one time that something is kind of like tweaked and worked, it goes down really well. The rest, not so much because she's not getting the opportunity to do that. Serena Deeb in this, like... I've got such time for how hard she worked to try and elevate this. And like, this sounds like a dig at Anna Jane. It's not, but like one is obviously substantially more experienced than the other. There was loads of detailed and like delayed selling from Serena Deep here, where she was trying to put over what Anna Jay had done to her in a way more convincing than when Anna Jay was actually doing it, <laughs> which, you know, again, that sounds like I'm being like harsh to Anna Jay. I'm not, it's just where her level is at the moment in terms of how convincing she can look as somebody that can land a blow on Serena Deeb. And I thought Deeb's selling in places was excellent. She was trying really, really hard. And Anna Jay was, you know, like, I believe that in these matches, a lot of, like this happens almost every week where there's a woman that hasn't got a lot of experience. They're doing the best. Like wrestlers go out there to do their best. Nobody goes out there to, to like just have an absolute turkey or tank the show. But, you know, sometimes the best is exposed as not really being good enough. And that was the case here. The Martinez uh, D program just felt like like it kind of existed for that, didn't it? Yeah. You know, this was like, well, let's sell the ring on a paper using this protracted squash. Uh, aye, not great. Jade Cargill, Stokely Hathaway, and the baddies are backstage. Jade says, well, she <laughs> she tells Layla to piss off and go and get her some water or something. But she also says uh, that they're not afraid of Athena or Chris Statlander. Uh, and yeah, she mocks Layla Gray for being an interim baddie. And Stokely's like, oh, no, come on, I've made this, don't screw this up. But he says they will be watching Statlander and Athena on Rampage. Uh, Kira Hogan said Layla would never be a baddie. Um, but yeah, we're getting to see Chris Statlander wrestle on AWTV on Friday, Sige. So small mercies. Who's she working? Well, just, he just said, we'll be watching you on Rampage. Yeah. Tag match. Two minute match, I swear. Um... It's weird, this. I don't understand why Jay Cargill hired Stokely Hathaway at this point. Um, it's just weird. I don't know if they're doing some kind of buyer's remorse gimmick or what, but 
it's been more conflict than partnership since day one. And there's no like sort of, I'm not convinced by any of this really. There's obviously elements of it being entertaining. And I think Stokely's just trying to rediscover his brilliance because it was squandered so brutally in NXT. Interim body, those two words together are just fabulous. Um, But it's just, I don't really buy this. I don't know. It's just not doing anything for us, if I'm being honest. Yeah, same. I've said this on other reviews recently. I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to take from the Jade Cargill character at the moment. She's so magnetic that I like watching. Like, if her whole shtick is just that she pies off absolutely everybody in her orbit, then so be it. But I think there's inconsistencies with this and then how we see the matches play out. And, like, I don't know. This feels like it's a little bit too freewheeling. There's maybe not, nobody's been given quite enough direction of what exactly it is they're supposed to be because I can't quite read it. Uh, Jay Lethal interrupted the commentary desk to shout about how he's going to embarrass Samoa Joe at death before dishonor. Uh, and then we get a uh, video from backstage with Anna, Gay get, Anna Jay getting checked on uh, and Tay Conti showing up and pretending to be sad for her. Uh, but, uh, you know, she slammed the Ruby Soho's hand into a door last week. Maybe she should do stuff like that. Maybe, Conti said, maybe she needs to make better cho- choices for her career. And I was thinking, well, at least Anna Jay's wrestling on telly. So... Yeah, the verbiage was nonsensical here. <laughs> I do like the idea that they're going to have a match and that they've acknowledged the fact that, you know, they were made sort of associated at one point. And it makes sense to do, but my God, none of what Take On made sense, even on a deluded heel level. It was just nonsense. Yeah, the last time Take On wrestled on Dynamite, she was in a tag team with Anna Jay in that bloodbath. Yeah. And by becoming Sammy Guevara's girlfriend publicly seems to have done away with her ever getting to be a wrestler again so but as the heel are you supposed to take that as she's deluded like does she think that this has been progress for this last year right like i don't know if that was supposed to take i did like the symmetry about how once upon a time anna jay was this corrupting influence on like innocent ty conti as part of the dark order and was trying to bring her in and now things have flipped the other way for the two of them and there was the sort of suggestion that maybe ty conti was you know, you could make better choices, like hanging out with me again in the Jericho Appreciation Society. So I quite like that that's, like, look how they've kind of, like, oh, how the turntables have. But then it fades off just like Michael Scott's <laughs> because it, it doesn't make sense the second you try and, like, peel back one of the layers. Uh, main angle. event time. I'll say that much. It's an angle for women that isn't around a title. Like, I'll take it, yeah. You know. Uh, triple or nothing for the tag team titles. It was the Young Bucks defending against Swerve in Our Glory, Swerve Strickland and Keith Lee, uh, and Ricky Starks and Powerhouse Hobbs. Put your feet up, lads. I'll be here for a while. So uh, we start off with a bit of an acrobatic exchange from uh, Swerve and Nick Jackson. Um, it ends up with uh, Nick Jackson and Ricky Starks both doing a rope walk, slapping each other and getting crotch on the top rope. Uh, Matt Jackson hits a series of Northern Lights suplexes and posed and then tried to do it on Keith Lee and Powerhouse Hobbs at the same time. Bad idea. They lay him out. Uh, Starks and Hobbs get control. They work together to beat down Swerve, who gets battered by everyone, basically, during the commercial break. Eventually fights off the books to bring in Keith Lee, who runs wild, tackles everyone, feels Starks into the books, uh, goes to hit one of the huge dives of his. You'd have to wait for that because Hobbs and Starks trip him up. Uh, Nick goes for a tope, but Lee catches him and powerbombs him into his own brother. Um, Hobbs comes in and there's a face-off with Keith Lee and they lay into each other with tackles. Uh, simultaneous running crossbodies take each other out. Uh, Hobbs hit a huge 
frog splash onto Keith Lee for a near fall. Then him and Starks work together to hit a sort of doomsday cutter for another near fall. And they just fire up with a great pose. And, oh, God, I want to be friends with them so much. Uh, the Bucks get rid of Starks and Hobbs, though. And then there's a big super kick party. Swerve and Lee. And then Lee fires up a, a third super kick from Starks. That takes him all out. Bucks take control, um, and then Hobbs falls into the official for a ref bump. The Bucks bring the tag belts into the ring, but Stark stops them, and then Swerve manages to get his hands on the title belt and teases attacking Keith Lee, his own partner. Turns around, though, right into a low blow from Matt Jackson, who just hits everyone. Everyone in the ring gets hit with a belt shot. He covers Swerve for a great near fall. They hit the BTE trigger, but Starks dives in at the last second to break it up. They go for the Meltzer driver. Lee intercepts it, though, and he and her, he and Swerve hit the doomsday Swerve spot uh, for a great near fall. Hobbs and Starks just again dive in to break it up at the last second. A parade of big, big moves. Uh, Hobbs, uh, I love his fine muster, man. He hits it on everyone again. And Starks rolls Swerve up for two, kicks out, and then he nails him with a spear. And I believe it was you, Sidge, on Twitter that showed the uh, the visual of his face. He thinks someone's tweeted this. I apologize to whoever it was. I'll have a look in a minute whilst you guys are reviewing it. There's a great shot where Ricky Starks' face, he's won. He's emotional. He's crying because he's got the tag titles. But just at the last second, uh, it gets... Um, stopped the pinfall. Brandon Cutler distracts the official that inadvertently allows Lee to hit the books with Matt's shoe. His shoe came off, Sige. It's all yours. Trust me. Uh, Swerve hits that bonkers flip off Lee's chest to the outside and then Lee pounces Starks and then hits a mad flip dive onto everyone. Swerve hits the Swerve stomp on Ricky Starks. One, two, three. We have new tag team champions swerve in our glory. What a way to end this show, Sige. This is absolutely fantastic. Um, I tweeted this to mega fans. Will forgive me. The young bucks have chemistry with everyone. It's absolutely ridiculous how good they are. Um, so much so that I never get annoyed anymore when idiots go, Uso's better. And the spot yeah. <laughs> you're brain dead. You're absolutely brain dead. Like, look at the way that they wrestle every single opponent. It feels like, oh, they were born to wrestle, then they were put on this earth to wrestle. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, these two wrestlers were put on earth to wrestle against each other. The other books were put on this earth to wrestle everybody. The stuff with Nick Jackson and Keith Lee, just ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. The timing, the trust, the feeling of, oh my God, how on earth have you done this? Made Keith Lee look the most like Keith Lee since um, he was on national television, if I'm being perfectly honest, maybe even a little bit before. He looked like the uh, the 34-year-old, 33-year-old Keith Lee who you saw in PWG. Um, and the match was expertly arranged, so much so to make Keith Lee look like Keith Lee. That's like, of course he was going to win the title, like, of course. But, but at the same time, it was so um, uncertain who was going to win because those near falls were just absolutely outrageous. I'm trying to think of a match in recent memory that had the sheer volume of near falls that I bought hmm. as the finish, the amount of false finishes here. It was never excessive. It was paced tremendously, as you'd expect from the books. Um, but the sheer amount of 
false finishes here without being excessive was just an absolutely incredible structural achievement on the part of the Young Bucks. There were so many different little moments in this match that were just incredible. Like even something as simple as um, Swerve doing that sort of backwards kip up um, from the super kick party and nailing them both at the same time. That was like in minute four or something. And by minute 16, this is just absolutely incredible stuff. So there's loads of stuff that we'll not pick up on or praise that should be praised. There's just simply so much of it in this match. Um, but there was a point as well when Keith Lee moved on the canvas to set up um, the frog splash from Hobbs. And I'm thinking, no, 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 you've moved too far. You've moved too far. And Hobbs, like, just does one of the most spectacular high spots you've ever seen. And look at the goddamn size of him. It was incredible. Um, Ricky Starks' facial expressions were fantastic because he gets his power, his confidence, his belief to win from seducing the crowd. That's his character. So for him to, like, try and do the pose wasn't just this fun sort of cute spot. It was legitimately him trying to draw power from the crowd um, in service of his incredibly cocky character who just thrives off being in the spotlight. Like even the fun moments actually felt like attempts to win. This was not a superfluous spot fest or anything like that. This just made incredible use of every single character in it. And, yeah, it's just so wild, man. Like, this is the year. I don't want to... This is just... This is a celebration of great wrestling rather than some kind of... Oh, this tag team is better, right? It's just a celebration of how brilliant we've got it this year. This year was calibrated to be FTR's year, right? They decided, right, we're just going to make them the best tag team in the world this year. And it's FTR's year with the singles matches and the Briscoe's match and the Young Bucks match and all the rest of it. And yet, when it comes to, like, end-of-season voting, end-of-year voting, I still might put the Young Bucks <laughs> on that list because they're just unbelievable. You know, just unbelievable. Um and Keith Lee was so great in this match that it's kind of the one result I didn't want to happen because <laughs> it's either FTR versus Bucks at All Out for everything or Hobbs and Starks, who are kind of like one of my really favourite acts in AEW, or Swerve and Our Glory, who are going to split. And I was just so thrilled with the match and Keith Lee in it. And Swerve as well, I just thought, yeah, that was an earned result. Um, I don't think it'll last long. We'll save some stuff for the preview next week. Um. But this is just absolutely magnificent. And go out of your way to watch Keith Lee's post-match promo if you haven't already. After this podcast, it is sublime. It's like not sublime. It's it's something. It really is something. Yeah, if, uh, if AEW really can book and we can trust the process, something tells me Keith Lee's getting attacked in a car park next week. So <laughs> stay tuned for that. This, yeah, this was absolutely phenomenal. Phenomenal stuff. Um, one of those matches where... so. If you imagine that in these multi-mans, Cedric pointed out years ago, if the Young Bucks are in it, there's a stamp of quality that is just about like 100% assured. There's, it's like, if there is a rule, if there is an exception to that rule, it's rule proven. Like it's almost never been the case. The Young Bucks are in it, it's gonna be fine. And if the Young Bucks are so integral to that, that you can visualize, let's say all six of them before the match and the Young Bucks, you know, in the, the TLC matches, you'd read in the Edges book or whatever, that it was him, Matt Hardy, and. Bubbery that would come together, the three of them, and then the, the other three would obviously, you know, interject with their ideas, but it was mainly those three. And there's one representative of each team, which makes sense as well, doesn't it? But in this case, you can kind of, in any multi-man, you can kind of imagine the Young Bucks gathering the crew and saying, right, so we'll do this, and then we'll do this, and then we'll do this, and then we'll do this, and that. Not we, as in everybody, but like, mm. you'll do this, you'll do this. And like, maybe Starks and Hobbs and Strickland Lee are thinking, oh, but like, I, th- I think my stuff would fit better here. 
And then maybe they just say, but this is the Young Bucks, it's their company and it's their style of match. Let's just go with them. And then time after time after time after time, the match is absolutely incredible. And the Young Bucks have seen this. They've, they've seen it play out in the head and it's played out like this and it's absolutely fantastic. Like that reminds me of that Randy Savage thing where he would map out the matches like line by line and people were like, oh, you should be able to call it in the ring. But yeah, like Randy Savage was amazing. So there's an extra skill to be able to script a match in your head and yet it play out exactly as you imagine it would and crowds come up and crowds... Like that in itself is kind of ingenious, you know, for the Young Bucks to be able to... Because this was a Young Bucks match. Mm. Every Young Bucks match is a Young Bucks match. And yet the wrestlers that they're fighting don't feel like they're just moving props in a Young Bucks match. They're getting their shine too. Um, Wilborn, you, like you've just sent us that tweet, that image, that still image of Ricky Starks believing his moment when they knew they've got the finger on the pulse. They knew that everybody feeling that if there was going to be a title change, it was going Starks and Hobbs away because Starks had cut so many good promos that he talked the idea into existence, right? So they craft this amazing moment where Starks looks like he's finally got it won. The Swerve and Lee teases because they know that everybody is talking about this being the destination of their split. So instead, what you have is a bunch of moments early on where you're there, you're permitted to kind of question the chemistry and then of, of Swerve and our glory. Right from the entrance, we were re-watching the entrance this morning, Sid, at your desk of Swerve and our glory entering, and they felt detached and disconnected. And then this match tells the story of them coming together again, right to the finish. So that finishing sequence isn't just a series of cool high spots, is it? It's calibrated to show that over the course of 20 minutes, Swerve and our glory have found each other again. And what a perfect time to find each other because they win the belts. You know, like uh, Swerve onto the pile makes you like makes you forget that Keith Lee can do it too. Mm. And then Keith Lee onto the pile because he needs to go onto the pile because that's how you take out everybody else in the match to free up Swerve to win it. How else are you going to clear the ring otherwise? Oh, it's because i got a big guy that can just decimate the field. Like, that is such a perfect finish when you've told a much long story of, ah, Swerve and our glory have got it together, and the Young Bucks shouldn't have been so cocky as to throw out a three-way challenge in the first place. You know, that's on them for, like, overlooking Swerve and our glory. We were there thinking, mm, shouldn't have overlooked Team Taz, and the story all along was, shouldn't have overlooked Swerve and our glory. And even if that wasn't, and even if this is just a nice gesture on the night, great because AEW is the nice company that can deliver nice results and nice moments and as Cedric's pointed out a nice Keith Lee promo so yet again feel like I'm echoing a little bit about what I said about the opener as phenomenal as this was as a piece of business and a wrestling match this was very much representative of how you want to feel about AEW as a promotion and it was breathing through this match this was absolutely outstanding by every sort of measure and a television event of that one more thing very quickly. This earned so many letter play out privileges because I thought genuinely putting Swerve and Keith Lee together in a kind of, oh, they're going to split up. Can they coexist? I thought it was generally like hack stuff and then they just subverted it because they're great. Yeah, I think the only downside to all this was I kind of had the finish a little bit spoiled because of shoe law. I can't get over this. Yeah. What's happened? And I didn't... I'm, Wish I was the very first person to get this, but it was actually Matt Jackson himself on Twitter immediately following All Out 2021. They did a side-by-side where it was the contrast how um, Dax Howard had removed his wrestling boot at full gear 2020 to like really work the angle, which was the, one of the threads in the match. And he fought through it because he was such a baby face with the highest stakes because they were going to never challenge the titles again. And then fast forward to just under a year later, corrupted heel dickhead gets the shoe removed but this time it's as comeuppance 
The next two versions weren't quite as rich, if I'm being perfectly honest, narratively, but still such a cool Easter egg. Um, climbing the ladder when winning the titles from Jurassic Express, Matt Jackson lost a shoe, which kind of worked a little bit. And then Keith Lee took it off him and you're not going to sort of ask for it back um, in this match. So in every single Young Bucks tag team title match in which there's been a switch, Matt Jackson has lost a shoe. And it's kind of like the Young Bucksian version of the Danielson finish spree of 2021. He is going to lose it, mm. right, in the match. And it's going to become like a bigger narrative, I think, so more people are noticing. That's first. Um, <laughs> that they're going to take it off and not, and there won't be a title switch. And it's going to hoodwink enough people that it's going to send at least like a third of an arena absolutely wild. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna come down at all out, in my opinion. I think you're right. I think uh Starks and Hobbs will probably lose them back to the books, and then all the belts are gonna be on the line. Hopefully, as we booked two out of three fours, main event of all out. Do some shoe stuff. Can't believe I'm saying that. Do some shoe stuff in that. Uh, I don't know what's gonna happen now. Is this the time that it finally, you know? What if uh Matt Jackson or both young books, in order to stop shoes coming off and boots easily coming off? Like, just start wearing cowboy boots that they might have been gifted off an old friend. Yes. Uh, and I will put over uh, Randan Opterix. I'll retweet this uh, for this image of, of Ricky Starks' face. You know, I mean, I could look at Ricky Starks' face and body. I mean, yeah, uh, all the time, but especially yeah. in this match. Uh, just to echo what you two said, I can't really add any more. Sensational main event. Uh, but how long will they hold the tag titles? Oh, well, that's a question for another podcast. Do let us know your thoughts on AEW Dynamite, though, on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Watch, they can follow all three of us. You can follow Michael Hamlet at... Michael Hamlet. You can follow Michael Sidgwick at... M. Sidgwick. And especially now he's not being so bloody negative about AEW. You can buy his book all about AEW, Becoming All Elite, The Rise of AEW, on Amazon right now. You'll be able to spot it. It's the one with 69 nice uh, reviews on it. You can follow me on Twitter at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at What Culture WWE and make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts. But for now, this has been the AW Dynamite Review. My thanks to the Dadly Boys. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods, for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.